going to have uh, some very serious prayer requests, um, petitions that we need to pray for. The title of my message tonight is Wisdom of Years and Surrender. Wisdom of Years and Surrender. Holy Father, I do thank you for these dear people and uh, be with those that are not here tonight, God, that for whatever reason, and we do ask that you bless all who might be listening online later, Father, we do pray that I could say words, your words, that could be useful and profitable for holy living, conviction of sin, in Jesus' holy name, amen. The text is Job chapter 32, verse 7. I said days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. First application of this is that younger people should give respect to those that are older. One way you give respect is by being quiet, listening to what they have to say. Giving them the right of way, the preeminence. It's because multitude of years should teach wisdom. They should be the ones speaking, not the younger. Now, the person with more years, we can make an application to him or her. Days should speak. The time spent living upon this earth, the years spent living upon this earth should have taught you something. Sadly, it's not always the case, especially in these last days. On one hand, if you're foolish, extra years don't teach you anything. They should, but they don't. This is why you could see somebody that's pretty much just living decade after decade, not any wiser than they were before. Another problem is the pride of youth, and that's celebrated today. Old people are despised in our Western culture. They no longer listen to the older. They've been trained by propaganda to despise the older generation. And I believe Elijah is going to come back according to prophecy, and he's going to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. In the hearts of the fathers to the children, there is a generation gap. Earlier fundamental preachers in the 70s say it's, it's a contrived, it's an agenda. It's a generation gap on purpose that people made in this nation to destroy the nation. I could have a lot to say about that. It began in the 1950s, really, in movies and culminated in the rock songs and movies of the 1960s and everybody's talking about my generation, my generation, you don't understand me, you can't understand me because you're older. Barnes wisely said in the 19th century that it is one of the marks of an advanced state of society when respect is shown to the sentiments of the aged. They can look at the reality of things and are uninfluenced now by passion. It means emotion. It tends to be the situation when you are young that you are influenced by so much emotion. 
And you don't even realize how much is coming out of your mouth is just emotional. In fact, this deference, this willingness to try to hear from those older and more experienced without being gullible, it's a mark of growing maturity. It's how you succeed, even in a worldly way, but certainly in God's way of wisdom. Those that are mature for their age practice respect for superiors and elderly. They listen. They long to be around them, to learn, to grow. They don't get tired of their stories. They don't despise them because of their weaknesses or whatever. They can see through all those things and really grasp the wisdom of what they're saying. We need to be mature in spiritual growth. The knowledge of God, the things of God, holy living. And Paul writes to the Hebrews, the Hebrew saints, the Hebrew Christians, and says, For when the time you ought to be teachers by now, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. This means you can get stagnant in your growth. Basically saying you're immature. You shouldn't be. Strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. Given the analogy of a baby, it doesn't eat steak. It has to drink milk. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You've got to exercise not thinking only emotionally. Only by your lust. You've got to exercise yourself to say, but what does God say? What does the Word of God say? Regardless of how I feel about it, that's wisdom. And when you practice that, you begin to grow. The fool in the Bible is often characterized by a person who will not hear the instruction of fathers. He's the scorner, you know that, the mocker. And one of the things about the fool that the Bible tells you again and again and again is that he is wise, what? In his own eyes, in his own conceit, like the slothful. He's very immature for his age. You may think you are mature for your age. Or maybe you say, well, I'm not immature. I didn't think about it growing up. I don't know about you. Maybe you've never thought about that very much. What I mean is, I didn't think much about what I'm about to tell you. And that is, one of the biggest signs of immaturity is you are so convinced that you're not immature. Isn't that a paradox? Proverbs 12 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Why would he continue to give you this information if that wasn't one of the first signs of a fool? He has no self-doubt. He hasn't learned by experience, well, sometimes I've been wrong. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. That doesn't mean you just follow every wind of doctrine. That's another sign of being childish and immature. 
Isaiah says, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Why? Because they're fools. It doesn't mean that you can't be absolutely sure of anything. It means that you need to have a humble caution. about the degree of knowledge and discernment and maturity that you have. As it says here, the fool rageth and is confident. They make smart aleck comments in regard to uh, their own assurance of what they believe in the sense of um, pompous, we, we, we are living in a very immature generation, aren't we? I mean, everywhere around us. I, I went to a store today, one of these drug stores where I needed to use an ATM. And, and it's like, I, I, I can't believe what they hire to work in a professional place. Hooks coming out everywhere, green hair. I mean, it's, it, it's a very strange world we're living in right now. And I don't think it sets a professional, certainly not a spiritual tone. Let's not look at this anymore. There's a point I intend to make. If you hear out some of my testimony, I want you to understand this one point. When I was growing up, I appeared mature for my age. My conduct. I would have to say I likely thought that I was very mature in my own mind. All of that was going to be shattered. I walked to school by age eight. By that age, I came home and stayed home by myself. Sometimes got bored, did some experiments, got into some trouble, but for the most part, I stayed out of trouble. Summer times would come, and I'd spend all day by myself, eight years old. I began to skip a grade or so in elementary school. When the elementary school allowed it, I thought I was doing pretty good. Read a lot of books. Around eight years old, I began to uh, go to a summer camp, and I began to win cooperation and leadership awards. My counselors would give me merit badges and say that uh, you win the leadership award before the whole camp. It was, I, I really thought I was doing pretty good. I said, man, I'm a mature fella. At age 13, they came and said, hey, we want to talk to you. I said, what do you want to talk to me about? Say, we want to make you a counselor. You want to stay the whole summer here? Do I want to stay the whole summer here? Yeah. And, and you know, I was in a strange world as a counselor at 13. Lifeguard, a horse counselor, equestrian counselor. I spent the whole summers there. Didn't go home. Everybody else had something to do on the weekends, and they said, we need somebody to stay here and be a lifeguard Nobody's going to be here at the whole camp. You want to just stay all summer? Stay here on the weekends too? 
Sure. Here's what you need to understand. Other than the kids in my cabin, I was daily with counselors that were in college or adults. We had fun together. I went sometimes to the beach with them. We did things together. I was around the whole summer with adults, college kids. I say college kids. They were adults, young adults. I drove vehicles at 13 on the property. I was left alone with an amazing degree of responsibility. Uh, uh, cabins full of boys. And, and then usually as the equestrian camp leader, uh, it was mostly teen girls older than me. It was awkward. Very embarrassing. They talk about things. I don't know what they're talking about. They laugh about things. This was a Christian crowd. It wasn't my age bracket. But I was accepted. And then strangely, at the same time, during my winters, when I wasn't at the camp, I was with an entirely different crowd of Southern Rockers, the exact same age group, out of school. I would leave on a Friday night, come back on Sunday night at 13 years old, week after week after week. That's how I... Never at home in the summer. Gone every weekend around people that were already graduated from school. 13 years old. If you would have asked me, do you think you're mature? I'd say, am I mature? What, what, what are you talking Am I mature? What do you mean? Of course I'm mature. All my friends are adults. Man, I'm 13 and this is the crowd I hang around with. By age 16, I relocated to Texas. Having already spent several years around college and adult age people, I, I am not proud of this whatsoever. I was then, though. At 16, I was dating college girls. I didn't drive. I didn't even have a drive. Dating's wrong, but nobody told me. Fathers would say, it's good to meet you, young man. What college do you go to? I go to Sam Houston Jr. over there, and I do what? And I'd be jerked out of the side of the house. And, Goodbye, Dad. We got to go. Bye. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Come here, son. Come here. How old are you? By 16, I had 60 guitar students a week, and I fell into the sewer even more of that rock world. I moved out of the house early. At 16, I had my own self-supporting business. Why live at home? I wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody. But I would have thought that I was mature. I would have thought I have it figured out, man. At age 23, I hit bottom. Most would have said, no, man, you are at the top of the world. You are so close. I said, I'm done. I'm done. I got saved. Age 23. 
I surrendered to not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I surrendered to holy living as I knew it. I learned so much about myself. I learned that I'd been the biggest fool. I was so ashamed of the way I had been thinking. I was so ashamed of my immaturity. Immediately in regard to health, I was convicted, as you know, to quit all cane sugar, 23 years old, all unclean flesh, pork, all junk food as I knew it at the time. It takes several more years for me to wake up to the dangers of pesticides. But I'm going to tell you something. This unclean, non-organic, cane sugar, chemical junk is what makes you age in physical years a lot quicker than you should. But it sure doesn't help you age in wisdom. Destroys your brain. But most just keep on decaying quickly before their time. You know, Solomon says you can die before your time. If you can die before your time, then certainly you can decay before your time. You can be far more weak and sickly than you really should be before your time. We're becoming in America just like the ancient Egyptians. They've dug up bodies, corpses, uh, bones, I guess, of the ancient Egyptians uh, mummies and things like that, and they found out that they have the same diseases as ancient America. I mean, as present Americans. And and remember, God says, if you live right and follow my wisdom, I will not put the diseases of the Egyptians upon you. I'm not telling you there's no way you'll ever get sick. Like every wisdom principle in the Bible, we're talking general generalities here. Get a hold of God's general. There's so many points I could make, but I just want to tell you, age 23 got saved. By age 25, I was a Bible study teacher and an assistant pastor. When I got saved, I wasn't telling you that I'm just better than anybody else, but I tell you what, all I could do was just consume, read. Read the Bible over and over and over. Go read books, read everything, and when you put stuff in, it's got to come back out. And somehow or another, as it began to, as it began to come back out, I ended up a Bible study teacher, and assistant pastor. By age 26, I was a full-time pastor and have remained a full-time pastor ever since. Oh, in many ways, I was mature. A youth in an adult world, not normal for the time. But I tell you what, at age 23, I hit bottom, looked back at my life, and I began to realize the immaturity, I cringed at the emotional foolish things I said that I believed that I had done. And this verse, Ezekiel 20, I found it not long after. It said, there shall you remember your ways and all your doings wherein you have been defiled and you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all your evils that you have committed. You say, well, I've never lived the whole rock world. I tell you what, with the light that you have, God judges you based upon the light that you have. Have you lived up to the light that you have? Have you ever hit bottom at all? Have you ever got to a place in your life where you say, you know what, I'm not as mature as I thought I was? It's a painful place to be. But it's a place of growth. It's a place of maturity. For the first time. Romans 6 says, what fruit had you in those things? Had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Have you come to realize your own immaturity yet? 
Have you come to realize as a young person that you should be more responsible by now? You should have more knowledge. You should be leading people to Christ. Here's something you might not realize. How much your thinking will change if you begin to apply yourself to wisdom and maturity in God's way. Through surrender, that's the fastest way. Broken surrender, that's what opens your eyes. The prodigal, it says, he came to himself. What does that mean? He saw himself for what he really was. He saw that he had lived in defiance of God and the wisdom of his father and disrespected his father and disrespected God. And he had been living in this fantasy world and he was broken in his sobriety. And you know what? He became wise that day. When you think your process of eye-opening is finished, that's what's sad. And you know, it shocked me. I said, I'm glad I got that over with. But it really never stops. Not many years ago, I began to look at people in my life. And I began to see them in a different light. And I said, wait a second. I'm starting to see people that were in my past in a total different way than I saw them just a few years ago. What is happening? Why do I see them in a different way? My perspective is changing. That ought to shock you. It shocked me when far into my adulthood, my whole perspective changed about my grandfather on my mother's side. See, if you begin to grow in maturity and wisdom, you're going to see people, people that you used to think were cool, whatever the word is, you'll see later as having been fools. Some people you thought at one time were unwise or troublemakers. As you begin to apply yourself to God's principles and begin to learn how to think and discern, you're going to go back and say, wait a second, they weren't troublemakers. Those were wise people God put in my life. Remember Ahab? When he saw Elijah, it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? No, he's not troubling Israel. He was sent by God to give you some wisdom because you're living like a fool. I tell you what, it's going to shock you later in life. I am constantly hearing stories of testimonies from people that have been through horrible divorces and broken homes. And some of them taken away from fathers who were trying to do right. And you hear testimony after testimony where they say, when I got just a few years older, I began to see my father in a total different light. A a, a brother just the other day called me up and, and, and was telling me about this. He says, you know, my daughter now lives beside me and everybody's shocked. Let me give you an example 
of my grandfather and how my eyes woke up to him. See, my biological grandfather on my mother's side, I never knew him. I'm not sure what year he passed away, but by the time I was born, my grandmother was married to a man named Joe. Joe had lived near the Everglades. He's the only grand- grandfather I ever knew on my mother's side. He loved everything alligator. Had a big belt buckle, gator. He was bald-headed. He was gator. That's what he was. Grandpa Joe. Until about age 12, every single weekend I spent at my grandparents' house. It was our stability. We'd go to Sunday school every, every Sunday. Grandpa Joe had been a career army sergeant. He'd take us to the Smokies, vacations. It was our stability in a troubled world. I don't ever remember being spanked by Joe. But what I do remember is his army sergeant ways. If you had to go somewhere, go to church, go to... He didn't wake you up at the crack of dawn. It's like 4 a.m. It's like, what in the world's going on? 4 a.m., the light's all on, and he's in here, army sergeant. You know, it's time to get up. Let's go. It's late. What, What are you talking about? It was crazy looking outside and seeing everything dark like that. And, and, but that was him. You didn't walk out of a room and leave a light on. He called it the icebox. That was the refrigerator. Close that icebox. The way everybody talked, my grandfather was crazy. He was mean. He had lived too long as an army sergeant. I grew up thinking my grandfather Joe was a hothead. Relatives always mocked him, complained about him, especially the women. It was so easy to get caught up in it and to despise my grandfather. Kind of like employees bad-mouthing the boss at the workplace. But I do remember this. There was a strange contradiction I saw. It was very strange. It was strange to see my relatives go through hard times and cry, and they would go to Joe. I'm like, Joe? Joe's helping everybody out? Joe's the one keeping it together in an emergency? Joe's the one you're going to when everything's falling apart? Grandpa Joe, the one you're always complaining about, the one you taught me to despise? He never beat walls, he never slammed doors, he never became physical, but oh, his looks, his orders. There were his smiles, a strange calm. He'd take me fishing, you get chased by a wild hog, he'd just laugh, you know, things like that. He taught me how to clean fish, mow lawns, all of those things. One thing you did with him is you sat still in a pew and you looked at the preacher. The kind of things he would teach you is we, we, we'd be uh, taking care of the lawn and, and I would be trying to grab gloves to grab the thorns and, and he would tell me, what are you doing? Quit that. Just, just grab it. I said, no, it hurts. They got thorns all over it. I need gloves. He said, you don't need gloves. Squeeze harder. 
I said, squeeze. That, that makes no sense whatsoever. He says, try it. Grab them. Squeeze harder. Now, you can't do this with every thorn. But I tell you what, it sure worked for those bushes. I would have never thought so, but I squeezed harder. And like, hey, it doesn't hurt. He's like, that's right. Things like that. You know, you just start thinking about that. Maybe you're too squeamish with a lot of things in life. You didn't make a loud noise around him. He's mainly listening to the ball game. Now, I want to tell you a culmination for how things reached a conclusion in my mind that everybody that I talked to was right about my Grandpa Joe. I was in ninth grade. Our school's having a giant talent show. My band crowd was all out of school and already graduated. I said, how am I going to get y'all in to our school talent show? But I snuck them in. I didn't tell anybody how old they were. So I just came into school that day with our band, and nobody knew that they'd already graduated. They were out of school. But nevertheless, I brought them all in. Praise God, Joe showed up with a video camera. I still have it to this day. And I sat there before that school. I stood there. With those boys, I guess young men, that had already graduated. And we went into a song called Cocaine. And all of the potheads, everybody in school began to, the whole bleachers, everything was going crazy. And I had the whole school shouting, get, get high, get high, whatever, cocaine. And everybody would scream cocaine. And, and you know, we, that, that's what we did. After I was done, the teachers were in absolute shock. Everybody didn't know what to do. And I went up to Joe, my grandpa, and he smiled, gave me a hug, and said, Son, what's all this long hair stuff? What's all this drugs? What are you doing going before a school? All these kids singing about drugs. And oh, at that moment, it confirmed everything I'd been taught, everything I'd heard, everything everybody complained about. That's Joe the hothead. But I never could get that out of my mind. And even though I was ninth grade, to this day, it just might have been the thing that I could not get out of my mind that God built on and worked on to where at age 23, I could walk away from everything I had built. So I began just a few years ago to to just think about this. I evaluated his life. And I'm like, wait a minute. He was the one telling me the right things throughout my life. He was the one getting in my way, trying to tell me to cut my hair, quit living like a fool, when nobody else would tell me that. 
He would have been 20 years old in 1933, the height of the Great Depression. He fought wars. I got a big old box of his medals. He was a career army sergeant. At his funeral, people walked up to me, and based upon the tribute of the guns and everything, they said, wow, he was a decorated soldier. I said, I never knew. Praise God, I got to see my grandfather get saved. It calmed him down a good bit, but he was still Joe. Proverbs 28 says, He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flatters with his tongue. Commentator says, Though he may displease, may be angry at first, afterwards you'll find favor with him. My goal tonight is to let you know as a young person that your thinking should change, and unless it's hindered, it will change if you will listen and learn. Therefore, I want you to be mindful about some people that you may think are hotheads, that you might think are in your way, that you might think are just not cool, and I want you to think for just a second that those might be the people you need the most in your life. And your thinking just might change about them. Every now and then, I have a young person call me up and say, you know, I used to think you were crazy. But now that I'm in my 20s, it's all making sense. All the things that you said. I hope it'll help you be swift to hear. Maybe God's trying to show me something. See, the devil will come if he can do it to God himself. If he can come and tell Eve that, remember, this, this, this father of yours with all his rules and everything, he's in your way. He's keeping you of progressing to be your own person, to be everything you were meant to be. But I'm here as your Savior to help you. Sometimes the people you might be attracted to most, the serpent is speaking through them. It says in the last days, this know also that there'll be perilous times. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, traitors, heady. That means they don't listen to anything. High-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Second Corinthians, Paul says, but even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Isn't it amazing with a young man or a young woman? God forbid it takes you all the way to your 20s, but you finally surrender to God. You finally get on your face broken and say, you know what, I need God. I realize that for the first time. I realize how much I need God. I realize what a fool I've been. I've got conviction of sin for the first time. And you begin to surrender to God. You begin to turn unto the Lord. And all of a sudden a veil is lifted. And you begin to see the world in a different light. You begin to see the scriptures in a different light. And things make sense that have never made sense to you before. God says in Psalms 25, the meek will he guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his way. What meek means is to be... Such a situation where God can mold you. God can turn you. God can correct you. People can correct you in your life. God says, if you let me, 
I'll teach you my way. Can't teach somebody that's stubborn. The psalmist in Psalm 73 says, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Isn't it something about conviction? You can have this happen in your Christian life. You say, you know what? For the past few years, I've been living like an animal. Just stupid. That's how it has seen in your mind. Some of the things you're bitter about. See, when you're not weaned, that's a problem. There comes a time when a child has to stop nursing. And the child wants to keep nursing. It's going to throw a fit to keep nursing. It's like that in life. God says it's time to grow up. I expect more from you. You got to quit being a baby. When you quit being a baby, you can grow. Listen to what David says. Whom shall he teach? I'm sorry, uh, uh, Isaiah. Whom shall he teach knowledge? Well, that's a good question. Who shall he make to understand doctrine? That's a good question. Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. What is he saying? Those willing to grow up, quit being a baby. Those willing to listen to God, receive instruction. You've got to be broken sometimes for that to happen. You've got to get out here and make a mess sometimes and look at your mess and say, you know what, now I'm willing to listen. God, it doesn't work my way. What's your way? Or maybe you just sit there year after year after year, never growing in the Lord, and you think, you know what? It's time for me to quit being a baby. It's time for me to grow up and start taking responsibility for my life before God. David in Psalm 131, a song of degrees. I like that. Tell you what, song of degrees. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. And now listen to this. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Part of being weaned is you say, you know what? I don't have it all figured out. I need you, God. I need your word. I need your ways. I need the people you've put in my life. I've had to learn this and probably have a lot, lot more to learn. I know I do. But I know I've been right about some things. I've had times when just about every church I know and every person I know called me a cult because I was teaching against psychology. Later to have those same pastors write me letters that I still have to this day and say, I apologize. I thought you were like some wet behind the ears kid. Homeschooling. A lot of people say, now I understand about that homeschooling stuff. Wow. Yeah. Cane sugar as a drug. I thought you were crazy. Anti-gay agenda focus. Boy, nobody wonders about that now. Oh, now we see what you were doing. Relocating to a rural area. People say, now I understand. Now what you're saying makes sense. 
Hey, you might get to a place in life when you look back upon your pastor and say, you know what? He wasn't as crazy as I thought he was. He was kind of a nice fellow. It might actually happen. And all those people that say, oh, that's just pastor. He's a little kooky, you know. He's, he's German. He's a little hot-headed, you know. You might find out later, he was really a nice fellow. Dear Holy Father, we do ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you help us to remember that we need to grow. We need to grow up. We need to grow up in you. Thank you for showing us the way, Lord. Thank you for showing us that growth is painful to our pride, Lord. It hurts some. Forgive us for the messes we make in our immaturity, Lord. Forgive us for the messes we have made. Forgive us for the people that we have scorned when really in many ways, in spite of their imperfections, they were vessels that you used to make us what we are today. Help us be slow to speak and swift to hear. especially with those older than us and more experienced. Not gullible, Lord, but careful. Not wise in our own sight in an arrogant way. Help us know, Lord. Help these young people know their brain will develop for several years. Just the physical part. And if they read your word, their perspective on life will change. If they read it in the right spirit. Now we love you, Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.